thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. I don't go to night meetings anymore. I'm older and I'm fatter. And I, 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 work, I work like a dog, so I, uh, I'm exhausted when I get home. And it was just the first night meeting I've been to in a long time. I usually make day meetings. I'm going to talk briefly about what it was like, my upbringing, what, what happened to me, and then what it's like now. You might agree with some of the things I say. You might, you might disagree. It doesn't matter. Some people might not like me. That doesn't matter either. You might, uh, you might disregard some of the things that I share with you today because the way I got sober and the people who I got sober with, a lot of things have changed today. It's a lot different. The message is a lot different. People just change for whatever reasons. When I got sober, they weren't polite. And they didn't care how you felt. Your life was on the line, and they told you about it. So, uh, I was born and raised in New York, and uh, my last drinking drug was October 9, 1986. I was 24 years old when I came in for the 150th time. My first AA meeting was in 1976. I was 14 years old. <coughs> I was forced there by my family. I sat in the back, scared to death. And in 1976, there was a room in the basement of a church like this, but it was so much freaking smoke, you couldn't see from here to there. So I sat in the back, and everybody was like over 120 years old. <laughs> and they all had walkers and canes, and they were the nicest people. They were comfy, high young fellow, and all. That was my first experience with AA, and I wasn't having it anymore, because I'm, I'm 14 years old. I'm using now two years. I started around when I was 12 years old. Um, I was raised with criminals. My family was criminals. Uh, I was raised in the streets. I was going into bars and nightclubs when I was 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, because of the people I hung out with. Um, they ran everything, they did everything, so I was the shit. Growing up, and I truly believe this in all alcoholics, we didn't do it to ourselves what we did with alcohol and drugs without trauma. I believe we all, I know myself, suffered some kind of trauma, you know, because I didn't abuse myself the way I did. And I realized, you know, many years later I suffered some kind of trauma. And it doesn't have to be a dramatic, it doesn't have to be sexual trauma, it could be trauma's trauma. Nobody's trauma is worse or better than anybody's, it's trauma. And for me, from a, from a child, I was, I was brought up with, lived in fear all the time because of the things that were going on around me. You know, a, a child should never see the things that I saw growing up. Even like when I got to the 14, 15, 16, and 17, but when I was little, there was so much stuff going on in my house. Um, 
you know, verbal abuse, physical abuse, the police raiding the house all the time, and, was so, and, I, and I'm scared to death as a little child. So I went, you know, the rest of the years up until 12, when I found alcohol, scared to death of everything. As soon as I drank that first bottle of wine, I can remember it today. As soon as I drank that first bottle of wine, it was 46 years ago. That fear was gone. And that was it for me. I was off to the races. The minute I drank that bottle of wine, I got sick as a dog. But that was the remedy to relieve all my... The hell of a thing living in fear. We all know everybody here lives in fear. Okay? And um, fear of whatever. Just people, places, anything. Fear of everything. I was brought up, you know, just, uh, just so afraid all the time. And so I found alcohol and drugs and um, it took that fear away. And I was able to be part of the crew. You know what I mean? Because I was, from, from a young age, I was with crazy people that did crazy things. And it was all legal activities. And, um, you know, it's mostly in my family, you know. And then, uh, so, you know, as time goes on, I just figure it's normal to live like this. You know what I mean? You drink, you get drunk, you hurt people, you go to bars, you do this, you do that, you do certain other things. And that's just the way you live. Just used to living like that. So my first rehab, I was 14 years old, and I got out of that one, and I went, you know, with detox rehab, forced by my family. The second one, I was forced from my job. I worked for the city of New York. I was a sanitation engineer, <laughs> trash man. It was one of the best jobs I ever had because we only, we, we finish our route, and you get to go home. You get paid for eight hours. And most of the days, you only work two or three hours because you, each truck had a certain route. And back then, it was the Teamsters Union when the unions ran everything. And um, so I got away with a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, um, got paid good, all that stuff. They sent me to four rehabs back then. Today, it's unheard of. It's not going to happen. So anyway, now I'm drinking more. I'm getting crazy with these people. You know, smoking pot all the time. Pot was the first... I found pot before I drank a bottle of wine, so um, pot was my first thing. So as time goes on, all the stuff's happening, and I'm just doing my deal. I quit school in eighth grade, ninth grade. I dropped out because I was on a mission. And you know, my, my parents are from Italy. They never drove, worked like dogs, had eight kids. I'm the youngest, had eight kids. And my there's four boys and four girls, and my one brother that some people here know who died. Um, he was a heroin addict all his life, in and out of prison, all the time. And uh, the majority of the time, the police were raiding our house at 3 a.m. because of him. And uh, so then he came here with me, got sober. That's a whole other story anyway. Uh, so my, that was my second rehab. The Teamsters sent me to my second rehab because sanitation workers are all drunks and junkies. I guess everybody was drunks and junkies back then. But. So it felt normal to me to live like that. That's just what everybody did. So that's, that's just what I did. I just followed the crowd. And I was going into clubs and <coughs> nightclubs and bars at 14, 15 years old because of who I was with. And I, I got away with a lot of stuff. And I was always connected, so I was always protected. And I never really went to jail because of people who I knew or people my father knew. 
my brother was another, he, he was another, another story. Um, so anyway, now, now I'm doing my thing, getting in that rehab again, going to AA, going to NA, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay, yeah. Then I last a week or two or a couple months, I go back to the bar, talk shit about AA, other fucking people are crazy, they're all Jesus freaks, and you know, they're all, they're all bad mouthing AA and stuff like that. That, that was my, that was actually my second rehab. My third rehab was the same thing. My job sent me again. And, um, Sent me to a third, it was a therapeutic community, it was 18 months, and I had to go to upstate New York where uh, you had to wear signs and they shave your head and all this shit for 18 months. So I ended up there with like eight of my buddies, and they're, all their last names ended in vowels. And so you know, it, was, it was like a street crew there. Never, it was never going to work, you know what I mean? They tried to split us up, it was a big freaking joke. So anyway, I get out of there and now. I go into jail again, I'm right back to where I started. I, I don't, you know, my life was unmanageable, but I didn't know my life was unmanageable of alcohol and drugs. I just knew what I was doing was unmanageable, and it was wrong, and it was bad, and it was criminal. But I just thought, that's the lifestyle I brought up, that's just, you know, I'm from the streets, that's what you do. So that's what I did. But I only did it when I was under the influence. So when I wasn't under the influence, I was scared to death. So when I was under the influence, which was every day, I was able to do stuff that everybody else did. So um, it wasn't really who I was, it was just you are who you hang out with. And I'm gonna get to that in recovery in a little bit. So anyway, I get to my last, now I found crack cocaine. Okay, I'm gonna talk about it because today everybody's addicted to everything. I found crack cocaine and six months of smoking crack cocaine was worse than 10 years of using every other drug and I was a heroin addict. And unless you're a crackhead, you don't understand how powerful that drug is. It's really, really devastating. It, crack cocaine is why I'm here today. Forced me to get sober. I hit my bottom with crack cocaine and when I came in, I called my EAP again and I didn't realize till the third time Old guy, Tom Fallon, he was in AA for 30 years. And he said to me, are you ready this time, kid? You know, he said, can you make it till tomorrow morning and I'll have a car pick you up and I'm gonna fly you to Pennsylvania. And I said, I can't guarantee that, man. I was just uh, 10 day crack beans, drinking, I'm on the methadone program, shooting dope, smoking pot, drinking. And I'm gonna just share this quick and then move on. The last days, I couldn't even take a pee. I would stand over the toilet for two or three hours trying to pee and my legs would get so numb. I have to piss so bad, but I can't feel, I, I can't feel my body. I'm so polluted with alcohol and drugs. I just, then I, I'd get tired, my legs, and I'd sit down. And then my ass would get numb. I'm trying, and this is the last, I couldn't go to the bathroom. My body, I, I was so out of it. You know, and finally I would go to the bathroom and like, it was like so painful. You know what I mean? I was just so polluted with so many chemicals, alcohol all the time. And you know, one of my, well, several of my buddies, they all owned bars and nightclubs. Back then it was the discotheques. And um, massive amounts of drugs, massive amounts of cocaine. All you wanted, you know what I mean? The bar closes, 
And we stay all the way till the afternoon and everything gets poured out and it's like you never want, you never, you never want for anything. So we were like maniacs with that shit. So anyway, when I called him, I'm on a 10-day binge. I'm out of my mind. I can't feel my back. I'm 24 years old. I'm 167 pounds. That was 210. I was 110 pounds ago. I was 167 pounds, and I was done. And I, I, I physically couldn't get up and steal anymore. Because towards the end, I became a heroin addict. And those people that I rolled with, once you become a heroin addict, they don't want nothing to do with you. If you do everything else, it's fine. But once you start sticking needles in your arms, those guys don't want nothing to do with you. So I was an outcast. So then I hung out with the, the guys who shot drugs. And... Um, that was towards the end. That was like the last couple of years. And um, so anyway, I called my EAP and I said, look, Tommy, you know, I, I need help. I really need help bad. And I was 24 years old and I was desperate. And he said, can you hold on for a day? And I'll, I'll send a car for you. And I, I did. I was living at my mom's at the time. And I'm like out of my mind. And the uh, car picks me up, takes me to the airport, flies me around in Pennsylvania. I never left New York in my life. Okay, I'm 24 years old. I've never seen corn. <laughs> I've never seen, like, you know, green fields like that. I forgot exactly what day it was, but Mabel, a lot of you guys don't know Mabel. Mabel's sober like 50 years now. And um, she picked me up, and uh, the whole ride from Reading to Effort, I went through the terraces. I I'm like out of my mind. I didn't sleep for like two weeks. I'm like hallucinating. I think I'm going to purgatory. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I just know I was going to rehab and I knew I was done. And then we're driving into Ephrata and I'm looking. I won't look at her because I'm scared to death. She, she was like butchy looking. She had leather vest. <laughs> she had hair. I don't hang out with those kind of people. You know, sort of, you know. I was like, she's the nicest. When I tell my story, she laughs when I tell all the time. And she's the nicest. You people don't know Mabel. She's not, she doesn't come around here anymore. But anyway. So we get into Ephraim, and we're like, like a little traffic jam going on. And she's like, these goddamn Amish sons of bitches. <laughs> I'm, like, I don't, I'm not even listening. I'm out of my mind, okay? So we get up. Traffic jam. It's like eight cars. I'm from New York. A traffic jam is a freaking traffic jam. I think it might have been a Sunday. They were all going to church. But anyway, we pull up to this buggy. The triangle and fucking horse. And the, two, and the two little kids peeking out the back of the buggy. <laughs> Hats and shit like that. I swear to God, you talk about fear. I thought I was going to fucking purgatory. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I'm like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this shit. I just wanted to go for rehab. You know what I mean? Where they send me? Not you got to remember, and a lot of you understand being out of your mind, drug-induced coma for and not sleeping for a, a, a long length of time. Out of my mind, literally. No sleep. You know what I mean? I'm just. I'm just like gone, and I see this, <laughs> I don't know what an homage was, and they're trucking along, and I'm like, <laughs> that was my first experience coming into Pennsylvania, but the corn, all before, 
from Reading Airport to Ephraim. Like, I've never seen corn. I ate it. And it's never seen, it was all corn. It was October. In October. So anyway, I go to rehab, and I was in the, the relapse program. I was in a six-week relapse program. That's where I met Richie. Richie was from Boston. We became best friends from that moment on, because he was out of his mind, and I was out of my mind. <laughs> and um, we both hated everybody equally. So, <laughs> uh, now I'm going to fast forward. That was, that was, was my life. You know, I lived like a thug, criminal, I hung out with criminals, I did everything. I've seen things children or, or teenagers should never see. That's trauma. So, um, after fighting with AA and NA and in and out of rehabs for 10 years, from 14 to 24, I finally had enough. And um, I kind of knew I was done. And at that point, I knew my life was unmanageable behind alcohol and drugs. I was truly convinced. I was that demoralizing, I was done. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was done. So anyway, I, uh, I get out of the terraces, we, go, we start the bridge house on 139 South 9th Street in Reading. The bridge house just started from Coker. They didn't even have furniture yet. And me and Richie were one of the first two people to go in, people to go in the halfway house. And um, it was right across 139 between Cherry and Franklin, and there was crack everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere was cracked. And um, <coughs> that's where it all really started. They, they taught me how to be responsible, you know, you had rules. Uh, me and Richie used to torture the house manager. And he used to run in his room and lock the door because we would both come out of my bolt ends. And he didn't know what the fuck to do. He was like, <laughs> he was like this country, big, goofy fucking. And we just like reigned over him. We'd like really abuse this poor guy, you know what I mean? And, um, but anyway, the halfway house, the halfway house was the best. I learned, you know, how to how to mingle with other people, you know, because we had, you know, a brother from Philly. I don't hang out with black people. A brother from Philly. We had uh, a Mountain Dew with no teeth from from Moton, who ate a park bench when he was under the influence, chewed a park bench, lost all his teeth. We had a gay guy. I hang out with gay guys. Um, all, from all walks of life. So it was, it, it was quite uh, eye-opening. Because that was the first time I had to co-mingle with the people I hated all this time. You know what I mean? Really it was I was ignorant and I was afraid. And I just did what everybody else around me told me to do. You know, they're gay, so you hate them. You know, different today, and I'll tell you that in my story. But So what happened was, uh, Without even realizing, I became an alcoholic and drug addict, and I needed it every day, and I did whatever I had to do to get it. If you had something that I, I wanted, I take it, or we take it. I stole every day almost, especially towards the end. Um, stole out of my mother's purse, stole out of my brothers, my sisters. They would all have to hide their pocketbooks. I mean, it, 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 it was nuts. You know, there was no boundaries when I wanted to get high and drunk, so. So I come into writing, we go into the halfway house, and 36 years ago when I got here, there was nothing here. I, you know, some of you people might be from, there was really hardly nothing. There wasn't no restaurants, there wasn't no bagels, <laughs> maybe chows, one pizzeria on Penn Street. You know, it was really nothing here. And the halfway house was, 
up the street of Franklin and Coca was down on Franklin between 4th and 5th, I think. 4th and 5th, 5th and 6th. And they had the 8.15 meeting, the 12 o'clock meeting, and then we went to a night meeting and sometimes we went to a midnight meeting. So for the first nine months, we went to three meetings every day. There was nothing else to do. And it was the best thing that ever happened because God was doing for me what I didn't know. I, you know, I know today it was all for a reason. And the greatest thing happened, we met these, I say we because me and Richie did everything in recovery together. You know what I mean? And we, you know, we got out of the house and we got our first apartment together. We did everything together. Anyway. So, you know, I, I got hooked up with a group of guys in AA. And they all had like a couple hundred years between. And these guys were happy, joyous, free, going anywhere, doing anything they wanted to do. No fear, and just living happy, joyous, and free. And it was very attractive to me. And these guys would come to the halfway house, pick us up. We had no, you know, we were on welfare, you know, with food stamps. We were eating in the uh, uh, downtown in the uh, uh, soup kitchens. Then we go to the get the get the cheese from the what do you call that? Come on, nobody ate the mission or anything here. Remember? Food bank. Food bank. Yeah. See, there's a mission, man. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the food bank and cheese. Anyway, you know, we have but. I learned how to be responsible. Um, I got a job, showed up every day. Um, you know, I always worked in construction. I was born into it. My whole family was in construction. So I ended up working for a guy in the half house who owned the halfway house, but he owned a bunch of other houses. I ended up working for him anyway. Um, I was severely in debt when I came here. It was like $60,000 in credit card debt, which my sponsor made me. Uh, contact everybody while I'm in a living in the halfway house and you know I got like $50 left over a month he's like I don't care you're calling people tell them where you are I was desperate you know what I mean I didn't want to do nothing they told me to do but I knew if I didn't listen this time I, I was going to go back to that desperate state that I did not want I didn't listen right away it might have took a week or two maybe a month but I listened when the pain got bad enough I knew I was jeopardizing my sobriety because I, I never wanted to go back to that life. So these guys, they, they would hook us up, take us, they would take us to the 521 Club in Lancaster with the dances. Back then they had dances every weekend downtown. I, I was one of the people who took the bar out of the uh, Easy Does It. When they, the first day they, they opened that up, the guy owned the bar, Jack Longlot. It was a bar. He, he remembers. I forget your name. Um, with Al Ekstrom, I took the bar out and they, they made that easy does it and I was there when they broke ground for the one up on, on the hill too. So um, I was there from the first day of all that. But anyway, these guys are showing us how to have fun, showing us how to be sober and have fun, <coughs> do fun stuff. You know, and these guys were like, they weren't having it. If you were miserable all the time, these guys wasn't having it. They'll tell you straight up, we don't fellowship that way. You know what I mean? If you want what we have, we'll go to any length, and you do what we do. So when I would go off the path, and for me in the beginning, it was women. Because that's all I know. And I want to share this too. Growing up, nobody ever sat me down and explained to me anything. Period. So by the time I, I, I figured it all out, 
My relationships were doomed. I was using women for their, you know what, I had no clue about anything, nothing. Nobody sat me down and taught me about sex, women, relationships, anything. I just ran amok. I just had to figure it all out myself. So, you know, I just used women for one thing and one thing only. So I came into recovery and I did that for the first year. And I started to pay a price. And I wasn't feeling real good anymore. And I almost got high and drunk over it. So what did I do? I grabbed a girl out of the Rose Kearney house, the women's halfway house. And I'm married to her today, still 35 years later. <laughs> and I've been paying the fucking price. <laughs> I, always tell her, I always tell her, she laughs at that. She's not in the program anymore, but she does her own thing. But anyway, we're, we're like, um, we're really tight. But anyway, uh, I never was taught how to, anything. So by the time I figured it out, you know, so, but I had them guys around me. And this is what's important to you new people. You are who you hang out with. I had them guys around me that weren't having it. Look, you want to stay sober? You want to change your life? You know, I got a sponsor like real quick, like two months, three months. He was just like me. He was a criminal, bank robber. He was Italian. Um, and that just stuck with me. Like, you only stick with your own kind. That's what I was brought up. See, th those tapes are all fucked up. You know, even my women, my wife's Italian. You know what I mean? It's just like you stick with your own kind. Like Richie's married to a Turk. And every every time he has a problem, I say, see, motherfucker, I told you, stick with your own kind. You know what I mean? He laughs. You know, his wife laughs, but I love I love speaking. I, I get I get carried away with so much information. I want to talk about recovery, really. Um, so I knew nothing about anything. And these guys are my sponsor. When I first got him, he said to me, I'll tell you two things. He said, you have a disease that wants to do two things for you. Isolate you and kill you. Period. Okay? I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything. I heard a lot of stuff over the Now, don't forget, I've been in the program for 10 years. I got the link now and all that stuff, but I'm at a different place now. And he said, the second thing is, you got to be willing to change everything about yourself. I didn't say you had to change everything. I said you gotta be willing to change everything about it. Because Anonymous, when I'm gonna take you through this book, it's gonna teach you what nobody taught you. It's gonna teach you how to be responsible. It's gonna teach you how to be a man. My wife and son never see me drunk. You know, I got married sober. On my October 9th, I got married on my sober day. It just worked out that way. And my son's 27, great kid, never seen me drunk or high. Um, so these guys and my sponsor, see, because, you know, I'm not a book smart person. I'm from the streets. You, you have to keep it simple for me. I can't read 29 pages and then comprehend what the fuck he just read. I, I just can't do it. <laughs> 36 years later, I still can't do it. You know, that's why I love the Saturday Kitchen Gym meeting because you can read a paragraph or a sentence and elaborate on it. It's fantastic. It's simple. So I sponsor today the way I was sponsored. That's all I know. That's all I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to do. You know, I'm not going to give you something that I never had or never gotten because that'd be... I'd be a phony. So I try to keep it simple for people because 
I complicate everything. Now don't forget, I just came from the streets and I'm living in fear. Now I have no alcohol and drugs and I'm full of fear. Okay, so everything I do is like, you know, I'm like really, you know, I'm afraid all the time. You know what I mean? Now, so now I got nothing to sedate that. But for the first year, year and a half, I was using women for that. And it was getting to the point where that didn't work for me. And I was, I was the most angry, rageful person. And I would go to the meetings and I would sit with my back to the wall and I observe everybody. And I just wanted to kill everybody. I just wanted to machine gun everybody. I, I just, that's how angry and mad uh, and afraid I was. I was afraid of everybody, everything. I knew nothing about nothing. And for you know many years, I would sit with my back to the wall. I would never sit with my back to the door. I would never sit where anybody could walk behind me. That's just street stuff. Today, it's totally different. But, um, so them guys, they, they, they taught my sponsor and them guys, which they're all interlocked. They taught me everything my mom and dad couldn't teach me. I was born uh, June 13, 1962, but I really feel like I was born October 9th, 1986, because when I got here and started recovery, that's when I started to learn about life. That's when I started to learn about what's important. You know, that's when I started to, you know, because I, I was raised abusive Catholic. God's gonna punish you and all that. So for the first like six or eight years in there, I wasn't having God. I wasn't having it, you know, because those old tapes, Catholic school, you know, I, I get my ass beat and then I go home and get my ass beat. You know, and I was one of the kids who couldn't sit in my seat. Back then it was ADD. They don't have, you know what I mean? Today my kid had it growing up in Catholic school and that was hell to watch. But, you know, today they have medicine and stuff for that stuff, which in the beginning, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not giving my kid no pills. And all. all the old tapes, the shit I was raised with. I'm only working off what I knew before I came here. I got to be willing to change all that stuff. So when I start working through the book with my sponsor, he would always have the book, and we sat down and did, you know, talk about stuff, especially the fourth and fifth step. He would go right to a friend, well, let's see what it says about that, whatever my topic was. Well, let's see. Everything by the book, because that's the whole program. Whatever else outside of that is irrelevant, means nothing. Let's see, let's see your relationships with women. Let's go back to the Ford stuff, stuff. It's all about me. Every problem I ever had when I was drunk, because of what I did. Every problem I ever had sober, because of what I did. Okay? Not minding my business, trying to make somebody else, you know force my will on somebody else, try to make somebody do what I think they should be doing. Just like I, you know, people used to do to me. I don't like it when people do it to me. You know, or when I don't mind my business. You know, and especially today, you'll never see me with a cell phone and I'm, I'm not on social media, okay? That's, I would probably stick needle in my eyeballs. But anyway, because <laughs> that's just getting into everybody's business. It just, it causes me conflict, I just, but anyway, so growing up in the program, um, all these guys are teaching us all this stuff. We're having fun. We're going places. Golf. Just, we don't golf. We go to strip clubs. So but <laughs> these guys are go, we're going all over the place. And, you know, these guys are taking me. I'm in the halfway house a few months over. These guys are taking me. We're going to the 
uh, silo to see bands and stuff like that, right? And I'm like, dude, I can't be in here. There's alcohol. They look at me and say, yo, we got you, man. Just don't worry about it. We got you. You know, first of all, you've never seen eight or ten guys get drunk at one time in AA. Maybe one, maybe two. We got you. You know, I didn't know what they were showing me, but what they were showing me was what it says in the book. No longer fear alcohol. Alcohol's always going to be there. You're going to learn how to handle the situation that used to baffle you. Today, I can go anywhere, do anything. I cook with wine. I go to the liquor store, buy my mother-in-law liquor. And I love when I go. I hope somebody in the AA sees me. And somebody always does. <laughs> you know, I'll come out with the alcohol, and they're like, see, I knew you were fucking drinking. I mean, so what? So what of it? You know, I, I goof about it, but if you're, being, <laughs> if you're being taught any other way, it's not in the book. The book will tell you not to fear alcohol. You go anywhere, anytime, as long as you're in good spiritual ground. I wasn't on spiritual ground, but I was connected, so I was protected, just like I was back in the day. I was connected, I was always protected. Same thing with AA. The group of guys, the crew I call them, they had my back. Them guys took me under their wings and taught me how to live sober. And like I said, a couple hundred years of sobriety between them. They knew when I had no clue. And not knowing all along that I'm getting sober, learning about life, living, you know what I mean? I always wanted, I was always sitting in a bar getting drunk watching the TV. I'm gonna go there someday. You know, I never went, I never left New York, never went anywhere. You know, today I can go anywhere. I don't fear people, I don't fear economic insecurity. I got enough money to do anything I want, go anywhere. I've been in business for 35 years. I started my business when I was one year sober, and I had a thousand, I think a thousand bucks in the bank, and I said to my sponsor, I'm tired of working for people who want to work for myself. He said, Well, what's the problem? Just go get a license and work. And ever since I did that, I never looked back. I've been in business 35 or 36 years. I've been sober. I'm almost retired now. Um, but all that stuff, all the promises they tell you, if you work for them, they all came true for me. Every single one of them. I can handle situations that used to baffle me. I don't need a sponsor to make decisions for me because my, you know, AA's changed my thinking. I've been sober three times longer than I've been drunk. I've been sober more than half my life, so I have more experience sober than I did drunk. And I've been taught by people who knew what they were doing. Uh, grow, growing up, I was always the guy at Christmas to put the, the toys together, right? right? I put the fucking toys together, they never work. <laughs> fucking. Lights don't work, the trucks, or whatever. And it's still today in recovery. I had my son, I'm, you know, 20, almost 20 years sober. I have my son, and still, you know, I'm putting his shit together, it's not working. My wife says, No, you fucking moron. You didn't read the directions. I'm like, She's like, What is all these parts? I'm like, They're extras. <laughs> she's like, No, you fucking moron. Do you even read the directions? And every time I try to put something together, it never worked because I did her own self will. Because I know everything. That was like 20-something uh, years ago. Ever since then, you know, I never told her this, but it stuck in my head. And 
I started to read directions because a lot of times in construction, you know, people buy stupid cabinets from Ikea that you need like a freaking nuclear scientist fucking degree to put together. <laughs> so I started, anyway, I started reading directions and the shit started working. <coughs> Same thing with AI. <coughs> you know, how it works, we read every time before the meeting. And, we, and so, you know, repetitive that a lot of times myself, I don't read it. I really just gotta make myself listen to it because how it works is the entire program. You don't even need the book of alcoholics notes because how it works is the directions of everything you need to do. It has the steps, it tells you before and after what's gonna happen after the steps, before the steps and how it works. We can, we can use that one page for our whole program. So um, that's what it's like now. Uh, I pretty much, the only time I think about alcohol and drugs is when I go to meetings. That's why I go to a lot of meetings still. Because I'm out there, you know, if I go to a meeting in a week, I don't think about alcohol and drugs. It doesn't even face me. I can go, I go anywhere, I go to bars for lunch, drink, go to casino. I don't even, it doesn't even face me. So I come into AA and it keeps it green for me. It reminds me who I am and why I am. I never want to forget that. That's why I'm always connected so I'm always protected. It's real simple. <clears throat> you know, I got a group of guys today, four or five guys that I call my crew. They're all my sponsors. I don't have a sponsor. I never put all my eggs in one basket because people fail you. You know what I mean? People get drunk, kill themselves, or do something <coughs> stupid, end up in jail for us. I never put all my eggs in one And this is what these guys taught me. My sponsor told me, don't rely on just me. You need to get a group of guys in AA, same kind of crew you had on the street, you need to get the same kind of crew in AA, and that's exactly what I did. I was always connected, so I'm always protected. 36 years later, I do the same things I did. It's just my thinking's different. I can make decisions on my own, you know, because I can, I don't, I don't make decisions based on fear. That's the difference. When I made decisions, everything, every decision I ever made was a bad one because it was based on fear. First thing I feel is fear. Oh my God. Today, I, you know, I got the tools. I can think it through and talk to somebody. We have the most devastating, coming baffling, powerful disease on the planet with the most simple solution. All I gotta do is call, talk to another alcoholic. That's what the book tells me. If I don't do anything else, all I gotta do is talk to another alcohol. The most, the worst, cunning, baffled addiction, alcoholism and addiction, the worst disease on this planet with the simplest solution. And it tells us in the book why we're so, we're, you know, simple program for complicated people. So my sponsor always kept it simple for me, so I keep it simple for my sponsors. You know, sometimes it baffles them because the shits that being put out in AA today. I lose my fucking mind. You know, there's four steps that are like this thick, and I don't know what you're looking for. You know what I mean? It's like, it drives me nuts. It's like, it's, it's a real simple program. You know, and you hear stuff today that I don't know where the hell it came from. You know, and that's what's being taught to people. That's what I meant when I first started, saying like the message is distorted. It's not from the book. <coughs> you know, that's nobody's fault. It's just the people that are sponsored weren't sponsored correctly. 
simple as that. It's just like when you go to a restaurant, the waitress, you know, serves you wrong. She wasn't taught correctly. Unless she's been doing it for years and she's just stupid. <laughs> right? so, I shouldn't have said that, but I mean it. Anyway. <laughs> so AA taught me everything my parents, and I never blamed my parents for the way I was. My parents raised me the way their parents raised them, the way their parents raised them. But what AA gave me is the tools and the ability to break that cycle. I never hit my kid, talked to my kid about everything. I got a great kid. He's not an alcoholic, he's not a drug not a drug addict. He's a great, respectable, and he was raised in AA. And he knows the stories, and he knows most of the people. You know, he hears me talking on the phone, because my son works with me every day. That's, that's another fucking story right there, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I contemplate homicide again. Because <laughs> he knows more than me. I've been doing it for 50 years, he's been doing it for two. So, it's a lot of patience and tolerance, but um, dealing with the family, my family's the most dysfunctional family on the planet. If you look up dysfunctional families in the dictionary, there's a picture of my family. <laughs> Big, Italian, crazy family. Loud, everybody got to be heard. Um, so that's, you know, I was raised in that. So today, I, I don't live in fear. It took many years. I go anywhere, do anything I want. All promises that we read, they all came true for me. I don't fear people. I love people. Everywhere I go, I make people laugh. I make people cry from the age since a child to the 24 when I got sober. Because everything I did was all about me. And I was like a, a tornado going through a city. I, I devastated every, everybody and every, every person I ever came in contact with, I devastated. You know, and all those nights, my mom sitting up waiting for me after she did it with my brother before that for 20-something years. You know, my dad died my first year sober of emphysema. I never really got a relationship with him, but my mom died, I was like 13 years sober. I established a relationship with my mom, and with my mom, you know, if you put the I so, I'm sorry together from all everybody in this room, there's not a calculator on the planet that could add that shit up. So, you know, for my mom, all the time, you know, it's, I just had to do the right things. All she knew, I was safe, and I wasn't doing what I was doing, and she seen who my friends are, because I would take my friends from AA back to New York. My mom would cook a massive amount for three days, all kinds of shit, you know, and people, you know, they thought they knew what Italian food was from people from here until they ate my mom's food. When we going back? <laughs> no, you're overdone, you're welcome, dude. Um, so, everything I wasn't taught growing up, I learned to not belong to How to be a dad, how to be a husband, how to be an employer, how to be a productive member of society, you know, be a man amongst men, show respect, give respect. And you, a lot of people even know me. I, I'm a jokester. I love to laugh, make people have fun, because that's what it's about, man. I, I ain't got time for miserables. I've been miserable for a long freaking time, you know, and today I try not to get caught up in people's business because it sucks all the energy out of me. I'm 60 now, you know, I still do construction. 
And, you know, when, I, when I'm in my work mode, I love what I do. I never work a day in my I love my job. I, nobody's got it better than me. And um, when I'm working, I actually do the work. When I'm working, I'm in my work mode. I enjoy what I do. And I forget that I'm 60. And I'm, I, I try to do shit when I was 20, like hanging 12-foot sheets of drywall on the fucking ceiling. And my body's telling me, no, dude. You're a fat bastard. You're 60 years old. You know, let your 26-year-old son do that shit. No, but he can't do it good enough. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I'm not perfect. You know, I got a lot of people I sponsor over the years. A lot of people ain't here anymore. Um, you know, so my, the only time I really get afraid, honestly, I don't even fear anymore, is when a newcomer asks me to sponsor them. Fear comes over me because I'm dealing with somebody's life. And I understand how important it is. That I want to give, I want to, you know, give the right direction. Because somebody's life depends on it. That's the only time I feel fear when somebody asks me to sponsor them. I guess it's like a surgeon going into surgery. You know, you got, you know, your life is in their hands. You know, and um, I'm, re I, I'm really serious about that stuff. And I, I, I give the way it was given to me. I'm real simple. You know, go through the steps. Go through the book, and that's what it's all about. And my sponsor was big on a, a sponsor supposed to take you through the book so you can live and take other people through the book. I'm not here to sponsor you for the rest of your life. If you, if you, you know, have been given that freedom, you know, because my faith today is stronger than my fear because all the stuff that happened to me, all the good stuff that happened to me also, my faith has become, it took years, but my faith is stronger than my fear. Because today I know no matter what happens, I'm going to be taken care of. Because it, it happened to me thousands of times in the past 36 years. You know, and I just know, intuitively know, that I'm going to be okay, no matter what. So, you know, I have no bills today. Everything I own is paid for. So I have no stress, you know. Um, I can, I can, you know, I can, you know, money-wise, I can go anywhere, do anything I want to do, whatever I want to do. You know what I mean? That's free. But I work my ass for it. You know, my sponsor made me call those credit card companies when I was living in the halfway house and offered to pay them $5 a month. You know, a few of them hung up on me, a few of them accepted it. But like a good addict, I'm sober. You know, I started working for a contractor here already. He let me take his truck home, so I was working on the side, and I paid off all that credit in like a year and a half. You know, I got all my credit back, which is important, because I needed it for business. So, you know, from the first day I started my business, you know, I, I worried a lot, but I always got taken care of. That's my, I always get what I need. I never get what I want. I only play the Powerball when it's over like 800 million. Right? <laughs> don't ask me why. I, I don't know if it's got anything to do with alcohol because I'm a hard addict. I'm just greedy. I, got, I ain't gonna win that shit, but I play it. You know what I mean? Because I know I ain't supposed to have that shit. Because I got everything I need. House, car, I got no bill. I got everything I need. A great wife, a great son. I got a great group of guys in my life. And I forget that. You know, them tapes come back periodically. They're all tapes. 
I learned how to be a friend. Uh, a black guy was at my wedding, all Italian wedding. That didn't go over well. It was my choice and my decision. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's a bad one. Um, my first couple of years sober, my sponsor sponsored a gay guy. I wasn't having it. I learned so much from that guy, sitting down talking to that guy. Became one of my close friends. And um, it was all about fear and ignorance, the way I was brought up. You know, today I love gay people. Um, I was afraid of transgender people. I know a transgender person that Richard sponsors in the program. I said, and I ask questions. I'm not afraid. I'm like, you know, we go to breakfast or something. I ask questions. Look, I'm a little stupid about this stuff. I don't want to be judgmental. Just, you know, explain it to me. Because when you see it on TV, the tapes play. And I'm like, fuck, people are nuts. You're a man, you're a fucking man. You're a woman, you're a fucking woman. My ignorance, right? Until I explained it to me, I got a whole different perception of it. You know what I'm saying? It's all about being open. You know, acting my, I'm going to say this before I shut up. My sponsor was big on acting your way into positive thinking. Mike, he said, Michael, you can't think your way in or out of anything. you got to act your way into it. Going to meetings, helping new people, doing service, acting, talking to somebody. Do it. Don't show, you know, don't tell me acting your way. you got to act your way into doing stuff. You don't think your way in and out of anything. You act it. Now a problem, you talk call another alcoholic. That's acting. That's doing it. It's real simple. You know, I give a lot of information because I'm so passionate about this life I have. You know what I mean? And then, you know, I got close friends. They ask me for help. I help them. Then they get mad at me. They can fucking talk to me. It's like, well, they don't fucking ask me, dude. You know what I mean? They don't, you know. Uh, I like to joke with people a lot of times at their expense. <laughs> but I guess, you know, I go to, you know, I cook almost every day. I love to cook. I'm in Giant almost every day. And people are miserable everywhere. You know? I always say something or crack on them or make them laugh. Everywhere I go, I love people. You know what I mean? I just, and my wife's like, man, you talk to everybody. I'm like, I love fucking people. I do. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not afraid anymore. It's a hell of a thing living in fear. I did it all my life. You know, I don't make decisions based on fear today. I can, do, I can act my way by running it by somebody, and then I can make the decision. Like I said, it's a simple problem. All, all I gotta do is talk to another alcoholic. You know what I mean? I've been through more sober, more things sober, probably than when I was in my music. And I haven't had, you know, I need, I need to say this is real important. When I came over in that plane, October 9, 1986, I got to the terraces, the detox. I never, ever, till this day, had an obsession to drink or use, ever, since that day. That's not me. Obsession. I didn't say thought. I never had an obsession to drink or use again because I was done, man. You know, a lot of people today, there's not a lot of first-timers anymore. And I understand why. You know what I mean? It's... We're sick people, you know what I mean? We have a cunning, baffling, powerful disease, man. You know, it's the only disease that tells us we don't have one, you know? So, 
I live, man. I just, my sponsor's like, I'm going to teach you this stuff. You're going to go out and live. Don't bother me. <laughs> right? But believe me, the first the 15 years I had him, he died so far, but the first 15 years I had him, you know, he sponsored a lot of guys. But he, there's, not, there's not a day that goes on that I don't hear my sponsor talking to me. Because, like I told you, I was reborn. I think it was reborn. <coughs> October 9, 1986, when I got sober, I started to learn like a, like a child again. You know, when you learn, you're born, and your mom and dad start to start, you know, learning. That's, that's what happened to me. So I hear my sponsor's voice all the time. When I do something or when I'm thinking about something I shouldn't be doing, I hear my sponsor, keep doing what you always did. You're going to keep getting what you always got. Stupid shit like that. It's true. Program is not for everybody. A lot of people come and go, man. You know what I mean? A lot of people go before a miracle happens. You know? I love to give it away to people. You know, in the beginning, I got like really mean with it because I was still a mean, angry person. Today, I just, hey, this is what I do. You do it, brother? That's fine. You know? You got to find what works for you. The meeting, sponsor, where you go, who you hang out with, you gotta find, everybody has to find what works for them. Because what works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for me. You know what I mean? So much information I'm giving you, it's just really simple. It's really simple stuff. And my sponsor and them guys that brought me up in AA is how I learned all this stuff. I knew none of the stuff I'm telling you. And everything I'm telling you is the truth, the whole truth, the whole thing, God. How many times did I have to say that? That's what I, I feel like I'm in court when I'm in places like this. <laughs> but I never went to jail because I was connected. I was always protected. You know? And Richie's the only person who really knows how I was raised. It's really not important what I did. You know what I mean? I was just raised by crazy people. So, if I can do it, anybody <coughs> can do it. You know what I mean? It's like... I don't know what else to say. It's just it's it's just so simple. You know what I mean? It's just my friends are everything. <coughs> my group of friends. I am who I hang out with. If I hang out with negative people. I'm gonna be negative. If I hang out with miserable people. I'm gonna be miserable. It's just the way it is. If I hang out with criminals. I'm gonna be a criminal. If I hang out with sober people who are willing to change their life one day at a time, then that's exactly what I did, and that's what I do. And I do the same thing today that I did 36 years ago. I go to meetings, I help newcomers. That's what the book tells me to do. Forget about all the shit that you hear. I go to meetings and I help newcomers. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. I could have just said that, walked up here and said that and shut up. That's all it is. All this other information that's being put out there drives a guy like me insane. I can't, my brain doesn't comprehend that. It's too much for me. And I get exhausted, too fat. <laughs> I love AA, I'm, you know, compassionate about it. I do what I say, you know, people that know me, there's people that don't like me, I'm okay with all that stuff. You know what I mean? If you don't want to have fun and be happy, joyous, and free, don't hang out with me, because I'm going to crack on you we're going to have a lot of fun. 
You know what I mean? So, and that's just the way I was taught. That's the way I get it. It's a simple program for complicated people. I'm going to say this before I shut up. You got to find what works for you. But be consistent. That's what I've been doing. Consistent. For 30, that's what I do. Consistent. Consistent. I can go on forever. This morning, I want to say this. It's really important. This morning, 36 years later, I get up to go to the bathroom. I swear to God, every morning. And I, and I stand over that toilet and I go to the bathroom. I got the chills for my whole body. And I can go to the bathroom. I never forget that shit. Never. That's how painful that shit was. 36 years later, when I go to the bathroom in the morning. Imagine, you know, painful, you know what you, Try going all day, getting up and going all day without taking a pee. Hours I was there. Just this morning. I, you know, it was a couple times a week. That I, that I feel that. <sighs> Thank you, God. You know, I have a higher power today that runs my life. I don't do anything. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.